We've been studying uh, the book of Acts. And I'm going to plunge right in because I, I don't want to waffle, okay? So let's pray. Let's pray and then we'll plunge right in. Father, we thank you, Lord God. Father, we thank you for the word which is supreme. Jesus Christ, the revealed word, is to be most exalted. And so, Father, truly, Lord God, somewhere in the midst of all of the word that you have revealed to us, you have revealed a name which is above every other name. And it is this name which is so worthy. It is this name which is so beautiful. It is this name which conquers death, de defeat, demonic powers and all darkness. The name of Jesus, something about you, O Lord God. So Father, take us into your power, take us into your word on this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. How many of you, you love your Bibles? You love your Bibles? Yep. Yep. You, you, you may not. Okay, everybody bring out your Bibles, even if it's on your phone, okay? Just bring out, lift up your Bibles. Lift out your Bibles. Hold it up. Hold it up. Repeat after me. I love my Bible. My Bible is the source of life. Every week, I shall drink deep from my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know what things the Bible says about itself? Um, in Psalm 119, the Word of God says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. And you know what that means? That means that unopened eyes may not see wonderful things in the law. Unopened eyes may see the law, may see the Word of God, may see Scripture, and instead of seeing something beautiful, it may see something boring. It may see something pedestrian. It may see something ordinary. But open eyes, spiritually open eyes, looking into the Word of God, sees something beautiful. And my prayer for every single one of us today, including myself, is that God would open our eyes, that we may see something beautiful in His Word on this day. Acts chapter 4. You can follow it on the screens. I have it in front of me in my hard copy Bible as well. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the people and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came up to about 5,000, men only. Yeah? On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were with, who were the high priest family, right? Who were with the high priest fa priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Actually, they didn't ask it so politely. By what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, you the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with this man? For that a notable sign has been, has been performed through them, it's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may not spread, that it may spread no further among the people, let us, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them in and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whatever is right in the sight of God, to, whether it is right in the sight of God, to listen to you, Rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak of what we have seen. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people who were all praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, then he quotes Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed one. For truly, he's still praying, still praying. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand had planned, had your plan to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders and perf are, are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word 
of God with boldness. May the Lord add His reading, His power, His blessing, His goodness, His mercy, and His attentiveness to detail in the reading of His Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. You notice this? These guys are being threatened, threatened with imprisonment, threatened for their lives. And you know what they pray for when they gather? They don't pray. I'll tell you what they are not praying for. They are not praying for safety. You notice that? It's so stuck because we are Malaysians. You know, many of us are Malaysians and the rest of you are in Malaysia. And, and we like to joke that Malaysians are very kiasi. Maybe Singaporeans also kiasi, right? They are not kiasi. Kiasi means scared to die, right? They are under threat. And you would have thought they would go off and pray, God, protect us, right? Blood of Jesus, cover us with protection. I'm not saying praying for protection is wrong. I do it all the time. Pray for my children. I pray for protection, right? But I want you to see that they didn't. What they prayed for was boldness to keep doing dangerous things. And I think we have a lot to learn from them. Because in as much for every one prayer for protection that we do, that we make, I don't know how many prayers for, protect, for boldness to keep doing dangerous things we offer up as well. Maybe 0.5? How many of you think it's 1 to 0.5? How many of you think it's 1 to 0.1? How many of you think it's more like 100 to 1, right? I, I don't know. I don't know. But let's summarise Acts 4, because quite a lot takes place. Peter and John are arrested. For what? For performing through the power, being by the power of God, performing a healing over a crippled man, 40 over years old, right? By the front door of the temple. He is healed. When questioned, they tell the Jewish leaders, number one, it was the name of Jesus that healed this man. Number two, they say, this Jesus is the cornerstone that... that <coughs> Well, that they, the builders, rejected. And there's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, they're quite sarcastic. One of the things I've observed is that Peter knows how to take a shot, okay? And, and, and he takes a shot very, he, 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 he seems to do it with a very select group of people. And that's the Jewish leaders who are doing this. He, you know how he takes a shot? He says that, y'all are builders and y'all reject stones. I know builders reject stones all the time. Right, because you've got to pick stones to build. But you, you, you are the builder and you rejected this stone. This stone which ended up being the cornerstone. It means that it's, it's, a snap, it's, a, it's a shot at them saying that you don't have eyes to see what stones to build with. What kind of builders are you? It's as if you are a Wall Street trader and you told people, sell, uh, this is a lousy counter. And next thing, this thing goes like, bam, 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 bam. It's like, you, 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 I had stock in that counter. You, the builders who rejected the cornerstone. I hate your guts, right? <laughs> Maybe. It's a little bit like that, right? And then it says, there is no other name by which one can be saved. Then the Jewish rulers warned Peter and John to stop. But really, they can't, do, they can't threaten them right, uh, with anything material because the healing was so miraculous. 
the disciples gather, they pray for boldness, they pray for signs and wonders to come through them, you know, and they start quoting Psalm 2 in the way they pray. Then the place is shaken, the disciples are filled with Holy Spirit power for boldness to keep witnessing. Today I want to show you two things, right? That in the name of Jesus, when the name of Jesus is uttered, when the name of Jesus is invoked, it provokes a reaction. The name of Jesus provokes a reaction. And secondly, once there is a reaction, the disciples pray for boldness. And it's very significant, I told you just now, that they pray for boldness. But very quickly, just want you to see the instances in which the name, the word the name, the name pops up in this text. Yeah, I don't expect you to read all this. I'm showing you the entire text. Just so you can see all the times the word the name shows up. Six times throughout this whole thing. I'm going to stand here so I don't fall, right? By what name did you do this? By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, right? There is no other name. Then they warned them not to speak to anyone in this name and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And then right at the bottom it says that they are praying that signs and wonders will happen through the name of your Holy, Spirit, your whole, your holy Servant, Jesus Christ. When the name of Jesus is invoked, some people will oppose it. Some people will oppose it. But I just want to... I just want to take this off the table, okay? Because I think that we all know that the name of Jesus can sometimes get a reaction, okay? And whether it's a good or a bad reaction, it gets some kind of reaction. But just so you know, when people oppose the name of Jesus, it should not be because Christians are not nice and are nasty and are rude and obnoxious and self-centered and holier than thou it should not be because of that or as pastors we sometimes joke that if people reject the gospel make sure it's because of the anointing not because of your annoying okay Christians being annoying making people oppose the gospel is not what we're talking about what we're talking about is the inherent quality of God through the Son, Jesus Christ. And when He comes and His light shines, people get a reaction. And some people are drawn to the light and other people are repulsed by that light. That's what we're talking about. Okay, so we're not talking about... By the way, let's all aspire to not be Christians who are annoying, okay? Or who are rude, who who speak the love but not drenched in speak the truth but not drenched in love right paul says speak the truth covered in love truth is covered in love you know what covered in love I, mean, I think the word covered is just maybe in english it's just too soft have you ever how you cook right you you want to cover like you know you want to coat something like you fondue it right you've got you, yeah, yeah, Auntie Jenny is like, yeah, yeah you like, really, you really cover it. Like you, you cheese fondue something, you chocolate fondue something. That whole thing is coated, dripping, you know, in, 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 in the thing. It's encased. It's completely dripping and soaked. There is no surface area that is not soaked in it. Speak the truth. Covered 
in love. And I will say this, I'll go as far as to say this to West Sungai Blow Church. If you can't cover your truth in love, you're not ready to speak the truth. Because if you speak the truth not covered in love, you're going to wound someone. There's a lot of truth I can share out here and there's a lot of truth you can say back to me that can, we can end up wounding each other. And that's not how God wants to speak, wants us to speak truth. He wants us to speak truth covered in love, to love the other person, to know them, to, get, to put in the effort to want to know them, to want what's best for them and then to speak truth truth to them as the Holy Spirit leads. How do you speak truth in love? I have no formula for you. But you have the Holy Spirit to give you discernment on what would be the loving thing to say at each situation. If you are not prepared to speak in love, don't speak. I'd rather you don't speak. But that should not, therefore, become a, 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 a cloak or an excuse to not speak the truth. It should be a motivation to learn how to do so in love. Amen? Amen? The Bible says, Jesus says in John chapter 3, we don't need to throw it on the screens, I just want to passingly make mention. In John chapter 3, Jesus is speaking with a man called Nicodemus. And he says to him that darkness will oppose the light. You know why? Because when light shines into places of darkness, the thing that is operating in darkness cannot operate in darkness anymore because their dark cover has been exposed and the works of evil have been revealed. And so darkness opposes light. I remember reading last year, was it the year before now, a book about people who do mission work in areas of mercy and this group of Christians came together and what they did, they had identified a particular, a particular building that was, being housed, that was housing um, uh, people who were being trafficked from country to country and they were aware of that as an operation they were working with the local police to approach the place to do a complete unmasking and to serbu, right? As we say in Malaysia, right? Um, and along the way, they, were, they faced so much opposition. Death threats were falling on them. We're hearing a lot about death threats in Malaysia this week, right? Death threats upon them, the, the local mob I think this happened in, in South Asia, right? Uh, the local mob was, was, was uh, uh, involved, of course, as it would. And these people were fearing for their lives, but they knew what they had to do. And in, and in, in ways that, that would be described in detail, how they worked their way into that operation, how they fixed a particular day for everything, to, for, for, the, for the local authorities to come and descend on them in huge numbers, and the locals responded as well. Everybody in that community unmasked that operation in one quick, swift move. And that operation was exposed. People were arrested, people, prisoners, prisoners, Prisoners uh, uh, from human trafficking were freed and set free. This is how God breaks every chain. When He gives disciples boldness, boldness to do dangerous things in the face of certain opposition. Certain opposition. And we need to know that our faith 
is not meant to be a safe faith. The early Christians received Jesus Christ at the risk of their lives. The early Christians received Jesus Christ being put immediately to a decision. Be subversive, in some sense underground, known by some people that you are on the wrong side of society, worshipping a God who represents to be the king in the wrong kind of kingdom. And they still made that decision. I taught church history with Rodney for years now, 12 years, I think, Rodney, we did that, right? And, and in the first few years, I always did the first class. In the first class, uh, lesson one was always about the persecuted church. And the persecuted church um, uh, would look very much like Daniel uh, um, uh, um, in Babylon, would look very much like um, the, the, the persecuted church today in some parts of the world, where to say yes to Jesus means that you'll be put to a decision whether you would renounce Him or whether you would potentially have your head cut off, potentially have your whole family killed in front of you, potentially to be thrown into prison or thrown before wild dogs, thrown before lions. These, these are realities. Today, the Christian faith continues to grow both in peace, like where we live, and also in much peril where other Christians live. Number one, let's not forget. Let's not forget that ours was always meant to be a dangerous faith. Long, long time ago, I was uh, going out for church and Altelia knows what story I'm going to tell now. I was going out for church early in the morning. Izzy was very young. She was about three years old uh, and she came up to me and she was like, I was, I was going out, I was preaching in the BM church those days and she, she, was, she would tell, say to me, Papa, drive safe and preach safe. You know? Uh, um, uh, and and I, I loved it because, because you know, she, she, she just wants me to get to church safely and, 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 I'll, and but I wanted to correct uh, um, just that, just a little bit of theology there which it's now a saying that we have, right? Um, and I said, baby, sweetie, I'm going to drive safe. But guess what? Papa's going to preach dangerous, okay? Okay? Papa's going to preach dangerous. So why don't we try this again, okay? Okay, let's try this again. Tell Papa, Papa, drive safe and preach dangerous, right? <laughs> and then she was like, Papa, drive safe, preach dangerous. I like, yes, yes, I'm going to go. Thank you so much. And ever since then, it, it's uh, something we say in the house that the kids say to me, Papa, drive safe, preach dangerous, right? Um, and and that's, that's my heart. That's my heart. To, to raise up a church that will not cower in the face of danger, but to raise up a church that will stand in the face of any kind of opposition, whether the opposition is something that's coming from your home or coming from some government department or the pressure from around you, right? When the name of Jesus is invoked, sometimes there will be opposition. But of course, sometimes people will believe, Right? And as we see, the, the people who believe, you could even say outnumbered the people who, who opposed, 
right? You saw, we can all see that the number of men who came in brought the, brought the, the total figure. I think the wording of it seems to say that it's not 5,000 came in that day, but the number of men rose to 5,000. And that's a clear reference to the part just before this that said that after the Pentecost uh, uh, sermon, it got up to about 2,000. So about 3,000 new uh, uh, male believers, right? Heads of households, so to speak, came in together with their families. So their wives, their children, and so on, right? And so some will believe. And I think it's important when we understand the power of the name of Jesus that when we speak the truth in love, to believe that some people will believe, some people will catch it, some people will say, wow, this is beautiful. And when light comes into darkness, as I said, some will be repulsed by the darkness. And we can't control who gets repulsed by the darkness. What we can control is whether or not we speak the truth in love. That's all. And it's a strange kind of agricultural uh, um, metaphor that we have that your role, my role, is to cast the seed, is to sow the seed. And that's why when Jesus told the parables, He told the parables that pertain to seed. Your role and my role is to keep on seeding the ground. And whether some seeds take root and others don't, that's not in our hands. Yes, it is in our hands to sow the seeds well. That's why I said, cover it in love and keep following up. Don't leave your, your, your friends unattended. Keep loving them. And loving them doesn't always mean bringing John 3.16 into their faces every single day. That's going to make you um, quite a tone-deaf Christian. But meet their needs. Love them in the practical ways, in the spiritual ways. Keep praying for them. Know what they're going through and be a real source of light in their life. Not just a salesperson in their life. They don't need a salesperson in their lives. There are enough billboards out there selling things to them every single minute of the day. They don't need another salesman or a saleswoman. They need a friend who will love them. They need a witness for Jesus. And so, let us be the people of God who continue to believe that when you share the gospel, though some people will be repulsed by the light, others will find the light beautiful, glorious. And though it could be something that is extremely foreign to them because they've never seen light like that before, and what they thought was light in their lives now in comparison to this is now totally different. Believe that this light has power to save. We sing songs like, My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. And then we hold back and do not share the gospel. Because I'm scared they'll oppose your name and oppose me instead, right? No, 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 no. That won't do. That won't do. If He is mighty to save, we share the word. Full stop. And He will. He will. He will do His saving. He will do His saving. And then some people will do their opposing. And that's that. But I want to say something else about this. When we see our, our, our book of Acts 
and we see the reaction of the crowd, it seems to be that there is a very, very polarizing reaction. And yes, the world today is quite polarized. The world today is polarized on almost any topic, any cultural matter, right? It's highly explosive and polarizing. And yes, some people will oppose violently and some people will fall in love with it. But you know what? When I think about this and this, I'm not so sure if this is always our experience. Because when you share the gospel with your friends, non-Christian friends, I'm speaking to Christians right now, when you share the gospel, you don't always get full throttle opposition. You know, the works, right? They throw the kitchen sink at you, right? I, I, I don't know your friends. Maybe your friends are like that, right? God bless you. Keep going. Let's pray for boldness. But most of us, the people we're sharing the gospel with, for those who do not say yes, right? So for those who say yes, they get swept in into this great and marvelous work of God. But for those who do not say yes, most of the time, they're just not bothered. And they will be polite with you. I assure you that. Most of them will. And they'll be like, uh, uh, okay, okay, thank you, thank you. One day, one day, one day I'll come. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, okay, okay, yeah. Maybe not, maybe not this week. I'm very busy here. This week, season, very busy. Yeah, and they'll be polite. They will be uncomfortable. And guess what? Their politeness and their discomfort will rub off on you. And then you start to feel like, oh my gosh, this is going to weird out my friendship. I knew I shouldn't have taken this risk. This is a stupid thing. Why did I do it? You know? And the next thing you know, you are also becoming less and less bold to share the word. And you're holding back. And you don't know what to do anymore because you've just weirded out a friendship. And I, and I asked myself, God, what's happened? What's happened? Why, why, what's happened to our witness? that most, look, some days in the larger church kind of sample, okay, it's even hard to get Christians to be bothered. Some days in the larger church experience I've been pastoring since 2016, some days it can even feel difficult to get Christians to be bothered. So why should we expect a lot more from the non-Christian crowd outside? If anything, what happens, the botheredness of the Christians is the thing that's being reflected out there, right? How excited people are about us. Actually, it begins here. How excited are we about what this is about? Do you believe, do you genuinely believe that this gives you a life that there is no life, no billboard product, nothing out there that can rival the life-giving power of this. I'm not asking you to reject uh, uh, and become an ascetic and a monk and go and live in the caves, right? I'm not asking for you to you be in the city you are in. Get in there. Put down roots. Be amongst people who don't know the Lord. And you still have to buy the soft drinks and you still have to buy the cars and you still have to buy uh, um, um, all the, the beauty products and all those things that are out there on the billboards. Yes, you still do need to, but do you believe that without this, all that is empty? Do you believe 
How much do you believe? Only on Sundays? When the pastor trumps up some kind of like, like artificial, kind of like mood-driven atmosphere and then you believe and then after lunch on Sunday, it starts to leak and then somehow by Monday morning, by lunchtime Monday morning, dude, it's gone. It's just, it's gone. It's last week's problem now, right? And I got to thinking that quite possibly the early church got such a strong reaction in either direction because they presented a Jesus who was no holes but beautiful, glorious, wonderful, dangerous at the same time. And I know from years of teaching church history that every time the church was more and more persecuted, the watching public would the numbers in the watching public would start to lean towards Christianity and every time there was a wave of persecution, there was also a wave of people coming to church and coming into the faith. Why? Why? Very likely it's because that kind of faith is attractive. And I sometimes wonder whether these days most people are not very bothered because we present to them a gospel that contains a Jesus who is vanilla and bland, and ordinary, and tame. And all he wants is for you to just come to church, just, just you know, pray before you eat, okay? Just do that. Just pray before you eat. Um, just, just don't have premarital sex, okay? Just, don't, just, just make sure you keep your, 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 your purity boundaries. What else? Just, just don't... Just, 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 just don't, don't, don't do the under, uh, under-counter money thing, you know. Just, don't, just don't, don't, don't be involved in the corruption thing. It's good enough. It's good enough. Yeah, that's, that's the Jesus. So tame. Not good enough. Not good enough. And I want to inspire you to follow a Jesus who will make your life completely worth living, even if you die. That's the Jesus I want. And that's the Jesus I want all of us to embrace, all of us to love and follow is that He makes your life worth living. Even if it comes at the cost of great earthly despair, great earthly loss. Because Paul, we are of the faith of leaders like Paul who said, I count all my earthly accolades but loss, but refuse, but dung in exchange for the surpassing worth of having this Jesus. And he did, you know. He backed up what he said, you know. This is, the, this is a guy who literally took his life, which was in high rank, high status, respected, up-and-coming young rabbi, and he threw it all away. He spent 10 years in Arabia, unknown. He came back to, he came back to Tarsus, and it's only by the grace that God brought Barnabas to go and meet this guy in, in Tarsus, extract him out and say, I know who you were. You were the young punk who used to put us all in prison. And I, you came to the Lord. I'm going to lift you out of your, of, your, of your hiding. It's 11 years by then about. And bring you back to Jerusalem. Bring you to meet again with the apostles and appoint you to be an apostle for the Gentiles. And there, whoosh, he goes. Into what? Into prisons, into beatings, into floggings, into being attacked, stoned. So many attempts on his life, having to be lowered out of a window just to save his life. 
And he had nothing. He went from high status to being a tent maker, ordinary tradesman. And moving from city to city, whenever it got, whenever the danger became not worth it anymore, he had left the strong enough church behind him. God called him, and sometimes God called him to stay in the midst of danger. And sometimes God says, Go, I'm sending you into new kinds of dangers. And he went, and he kept going, and he kept going until the very, very end. Our hero of faith, at least one of them, if not many of them, died, probably by beheading in Rome under the hand of Emperor Nero. Was it worth it? How many of you want to die a martyr's death? Not many of you will raise your hands. Even fewer of you will be excited about it. And I'm not asking you to want to die a martyr's death. I'm asking you to be ready for whatever kind of life that leads to whatever kind of death that God has appointed for you. And it will empty you out completely and then fill you with a new kind of meaning and purpose and that trait is worth it. All other trait, all other trait is shifting sand. Every other exchange is not worth it. The world will lie to you that there is a kind of life that is sedate and safe and circumscribed within the four kind of, kind of boundaries of, of, of a simple, quiet, uh, um, um, non-engaged life. And you just enjoy your luxuries or enjoy your comforts or enjoy your small creature comforts or whatever it is and it's good enough. Not good enough. He calls you to be subversive. And by subversive, I mean you are in the world, but not of the world. And the more you are in the world, the more a culture starts to, starts to grow around you and more and more people will catch it, even though you may not always be overt and open about it. That's how, that's how the disciples were. He calls us into lives lived on the edge, right on the edge, and His promise with us is not that you will always be safe and die an old, an old woman or an old man surrounded by your family, you know, not of cancer but of old age, other, other old age things, whatever they may be. That's not His promise. His promise is surely I will be with you. Until the end of the age, I will be with you. With me in doing what? Huh? With me in go make disciples of all nations teach, baptize men and women go teach and go baptize in the name of Jesus right? that's our commission that's our calling you all know your life purpose? you ever wonder what's the meaning of life? that's the meaning of life go do that there's meaning behind that amen? let's pray right now I'm not done yet I'm not done yet I just want to pray in the middle of the sermon let's pray Father God I just pray Lord God for our witness Lord Jesus, I just pray for every single one of us that we will recover a, a, um, a kind of a, a vision of Jesus, a vision of Jesus that is not so that 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 that, that will just that will just be so authentic, so, so true to the vision of Jesus that is that is manifest in our scriptures. Lord Jesus, I pray that your word will shine forth through us. We'll be convicted. You just cut us in our hearts, Lord God, so that we can say, Lord Jesus, yes, I love you. I want more of you. 
and this you I will witness to and off. And in this world, no matter what we see, who we speak to, I pray that I will always give the truest witness of you, O Lord God. That I will always show Jesus to be the most high, far, exceedingly higher value than everything else that is on offer. Not just from ourselves or from the world, but anything else that can be imagined. Jesus, the highest value. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Jesus, take a breath. The name of Jesus provokes a reaction and the name of Jesus drives the people to pray for boldness. You know, two weeks ago, I shared with you from this pulpit about four things that characterize the early church. How many of you remember them? This is not a pop quiz, okay? This is not a pop quiz. I'm just asking. How many of you kind of remember, you kind of roughly approximately can remember the four things about the early church? One of them was teaching of the apostles. The other one was baptism of the Holy Spirit, the breaking of bread. Any other takers? Teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. These were the four things that defined, that marked out the early church. And you can see it in, at the end of Acts chapter 2, right? Teaching of the apostles, fellowship with one another, communion with one another. And that's why in two weeks' time, we're doing the King's Table right here behind this screen, okay? And I ended, before I sh could share with you all about prayer, because time just ran out. <laughs> and I want to share with you the remainder of what I wanted to share with you because prayer is so important in the life of a church, especially when that church is living on the edge, on that boundary line between safety and danger, between darkness and light, between, be, between my old life and this new destiny that we have standing before us. All the more, the church must pray. Maybe that's why they pray so much and maybe that's why we don't pray that much. It's because our lives appear to not need so much desperate prayer because we are all quite well taken care of already. Or if I may use the previous sermon's metaphor, maybe we don't give each other the name of Jesus because we already have silver and gold to give. Right? Silver and gold I do have here. Have some. Never mind the word of Jesus. The name of Jesus is fine. I've given you the silver and gold. You ask, I give, right? And in the same way, maybe we don't pray so desperately. Maybe we don't gather and just call and cry out to God because we are not living on the edge. But prayer is super important. And I'll tell you something else. When the place that they were praying in shook, it's an evidence that heaven and earth are transacting through the believers. I would have showed you Genesis 28, how Jacob, in running, in hiding, in his own version of standing and running somewhere between disobedience and future obedience, this, old, this aging man, right? I think he's young still, but he's growing older and some days not wiser and some days wiser, finds a, a, a place, a hiding place. He puts a stone on, on his, under his head. He lies down and prays, but unbeknownst to him, his grandfather had been to that area before, had prayed before, and had set up an altar there before. And now, in his sleep, Jacob sees a stairway 
And he sees this stairway going up to the heavens and then the angels of God ascending and descending on it as if to say that there is a transaction between the heavenly places and the earthly places. And then he wakes up, he says, Yahweh surely is in this place. I did not even know it. And then he builds an altar. In the years to come, he builds an altar and comes back to this place. He names that place Bethel. And he says that this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. The place of prayer. The place of presence. God's place, the circumscribed territory. And there is something strangely territorial about this story. And I believe it continues to hold true. Wherever you are, wherever you pray, know that God in heaven hears you. Know that you are becoming a place and a, you, you are occupying a space in the heavens and earth continuum where God transacts into this world through you. Your place of prayer is infinitely more powerful than you give it credit for. You think that I'm just walking, I'm just praying, I'm just kneeling by my bed and I'm praying. That's it. In your mind, you're just praying. It's just email. I speak, I send, God receives. Done. No, it's not just email, spiritual email. It's not. It's much more than that. The place you pray in becomes an area of transaction, spiritual transaction. That's why the room shakes. There's a physical outpouring of, and there's a physical expression to the prayer. If not, then they would just shake, right? It's like, oh, um, I'm praying, God, and God shakes me. Yeah. And that's it, right? But no, the environment is transformed. That's what happens when you invoke the power in the name of God. And that's important. If we want to live Christian lives that are always on the edge, between light and dark, you got to be praying. I would have shown you Ephesians chapter 6. It says, pray at all times. Pray in the Spirit with every prayer and request. Stay alert, persevere, and intercede. Ephesians 6 goes on to say, pray also for me, that the message may be given to me, so I may be what bold enough. This is exactly the same kind of language that Peter and John are praying about. Give me boldness so that I can have the right message. Pray for your pastors, myself and Pastor Ramesh and our wives and, and, and our leaders. Pray for all of us that we will always have the boldness, the boldness to pray bold prayers, the boldness to preach bold sermons, the boldness to raise up bold leaders. And pray for yourselves that you yourself will always be bold and be prepared to go to the edge of hatred with love to give. And sometimes that too will get a reaction. You know, when I was preparing that sermon two weeks ago, and I started to think about Jacob's ladder, and imagining like, okay, no, none of us knows what it looks like. No painter who has ever attempted a painting knows what it looks like. And I was just going through numerous kinds of pieces of artwork because I like looking at art. Um, and, I, and, I, and I found one that I really like, and it's this, right? It's painted by a woman called Deborah Edison Coburn. It's called Jacob's Ladder. I like it for two reasons. One, it's not literal. I like it when paintings are not literal. It gives you something. It helps. It makes you realize that the painter is 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 not just you know trying to try, try, trying to reproduce, but they're actually engaging with it. Two, I like it that in its non-literalness, there are three ladders, and the ladders are juxtaposed against what looks like buildings in a city. And if I may say, 
what I wish prayer altars in church would be like, this is what I hope it would be like. That every single one of you, when you pray in your closet, in your homes, in your cell groups, or in us like this, when we gather this Friday night for Dominate Altar, on every other Saturday night, uh, Saturday morning, that it looks like this, ladder after ladder after ladder, going up to heaven and transacting heavenly places, transacting with earthly ones, and shakings, taking place all around our city. I love this painting. Now, I want to show you. I want to show you and go into the Word again and see when the disciples prayed, how did they pray? you got to know this, huh? They are Jews. Now, I'm going to ask you, pop quiz now. This is real pop quiz. What would the Jews use to pray? Where do the Jews go to learn how to pray? A lot of ps sounds, right? It's almost, you're almost there, guys. Yeah. Yes, Isabel. The Torah, they may go to the Torah to pray. Yeah? Well, the Psalms, right? They go to the Psalms. The Psalms are called the prayer book of the believers, of the church. Certainly, the Psalms were the prayer book of the Jewish people. They would turn to the prayers of David. And they will mirror the prayers of David. They will find a psalm that is that where David is going through something that approximates what I'm going through. That they will go to a psalm where the sons of Asaph or, or somebody, the psalmist, was going through an experience that's adjacent to what's happening with me. And then what they prayed, today I pray the same thing, but I'm praying their words and God's given words in my situation today. And so that's how the Jews would pray. That should be how we pray. We should pray the Scriptures all the time, right? And I want to show you that something amazing is happening here. When the disciples break out into prayer, they quote Psalm 2. And you're like, okay, what's so great about that? They quote Psalm 2. We quote, Psalms, we, we, we quote Bible in our prayer all the time, right? No, it's not, it's not that there's nothing happening. Something incredible is happening. You want to know what's happening? They are going back to the Jewish Scriptures and seeing the parts of Jewish Scripture that makes mention of the Messiah, of the Anointed One of the one whom God is going to send, of God's promise. And they're going back, their mind immediately triggers. Psalm 2, Psalm 2, there is a king, right? The Lord said to my God, sit at my right hand, right? Until I've made enemies your footstool. That's Psalm 110, right? And they tri they've triggered that already. They're thinking of Psalm 2 that says, that says um, the king, oh gosh, Psalm 2, I should turn to it. You know what? Forget it. I'm just going to look, show you Psalm 2, right? Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up against and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed one. And they are no longer praying Psalm 2 the way they used to pray Psalm 2. They used to pray Psalm 2 with the nations raging. Maybe it's the Greek Maybe it's the Greek kingdoms, uh, 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 the empires of the past, and the anointed one is the future Messiah. Or maybe they're thinking back to David. God, why, why, did, why did the nations keep raging against King David of the past? And now, when they pray Psalm 2, they are praying with this as Jesus, 
And this makes them different from all the non-Christian Jews. Ethnic Jews, non-Christians, this, the way they pray Psalm 2, is now totally different from the way the rest of the Jews are praying Psalm 2. Because the rest of the Jews are praying Psalm 2 and when they say, rise up against the anointed one, they are either talking about David in the past or some future Messiah. But now when the Christian Jews are praying this, they are saying that, I now see Jesus, 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 Jesus. All throughout their old scriptures, they are seeing Jesus everywhere through it. They are reinterpreting the old Jewish prayers through Christian lens. And that's exciting to me because you know what? I want every single one of us to go into our Old Testaments and whenever you see shades and signs of Jesus, you can see it. You have eyes. God opens your eyes so that you can see. Don't you know that the two men walking with the resurrected Jesus on the road to Emmaus, they walked and then, and then Jesus spoke with them and beginning from the Old Testament started to show him who, that the Messiah had come, Right? And then they still go like, uh-huh, 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 until Jesus vanished and spiritually their eyes became open. And once their eyes became open, oh, no wonder our hearts burned in us while we were walking with Him. That's the Messiah. Now they see Jesus, 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 all throughout the old scriptures. And that's the spirit. That's a place I want us to be. Because guys, when you pray, when you pray and you look into your scriptures, my prayer, my heart is that for all of us, we can see God in what we are praying. Because sometimes we pray and we're like blind and we're just praying like crying out for blind hope, like God, please, uh, play, please, 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 you know. But I want you to see in your scriptures that we have a God who gives us hope, who gives us power, who gives us life and He's been doing it for centuries and centuries and centuries on and today you are praying to the same God who rescued Daniel, the same God who rescued Joseph, the same God who rescued Jesus out of death into resurrected life. This same God is there for you. He has promised you, surely I'll be with you to the end of the age. Amen? So I want to do a little bit of scientific work on the praying how did they start praying? They said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the seas. How many of you open your prayers with the name Sovereign Lord? That's a name, by the way. That's a name. Sovereign Lord is a name. The closest Hebrew equivalent to Sovereign Lord is, of course, Yahweh, right? And they don't say Yahweh because they're Orthodox Jews. They say Jehovah. Or they say Adonai. Or maybe they say El Olam, God of the whole universe. It's close to Sovereign Lord. How many of you, you open your prayers by calling out the name of God? Do that, because that's what they did, right? And why? It's not because it's magical. It's because it sets your mind, it sets your spirit on a, on a trajectory where you're, where you're reminding your own spirit that there is a sovereign Lord out there. He's not just God, He's sovereign Lord. His sovereign Lord means He is in control of everything. He goes on to say things to God that God knows already. He's saying it because he needs to hear it himself. Sovereign Lord who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, God says, I know. And he said, I still need to say it. You know why I need to say it? I need to say it because I need to know. And I need to remember that when I'm under pressure, I need to remind myself that my God created the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. Because when I remember that this is my God, His bigger name above all the Caiaphas and the Herod and all the Pontius Pilots and all that. 
He is the name above the prisons and the oppression and the, and, and, and the Roman uh, 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 things filled with lions and wild dogs. His name is bigger. That's how you pray. And then he cites scripture and then he reinterprets Messianic Psalm as now is talking about Jesus as I shared. And then he does something interesting which sometimes we may do in prayer and sometimes we may think, why am I doing this in my prayer? He starts giving commentary. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and all the Gentiles, and they did all these things. And like, when I read this, I'm thinking, um, guys, I think God knows. <laughs> I think God knows already. And still they say it. They say it in their prayers. Because it's part of their storytelling. And they need, prayer is in some ways storytelling. You are, you, you are bringing a full narrative before our God. And it's not wrong to add all this commentary into your prayer. Sometimes we are told that, oh, you know, maybe you shouldn't. You, it's okay. They did it. And the room shook. And then he asked God for empathy. Now, Lord, look upon the threats and grant your servants something. And that's usually the place of petition where you cry out and say, God, give us this day our daily bread. This is the part that says, Lord, be with me through the valley of shadow of death. Right? It's all, and it's okay to cry and ask for empathy. Maybe some, we're all good at this part, right? We're all good at this part. Maybe we skip all the earlier parts and we jump straight to the part. It's okay. But make sure you remember crying out to the Lord. Make sure that your prayers are being birthed out of Scripture. And then you ask God for empowerment to witness. And I talked about this earlier already. At least in this case, they did not ask for protection. They did not ask for a safe, long life. They asked for boldness to keep witnessing. And they asked God for supernatural support. As we go through this, God, give us signs, give us wonders, give us healing. Why? To legitimize it, to authenticate it, to cause people to see the sign that leads to Jesus and to be in awe of what God can do. Amen? Ask the worship team to come on stage. We're going to pray. Now we're going to pray, right? As if we weren't praying earlier. No, now we will pray as we prayed before. And we're going to pray for three things. And I know each one of you, when you see these three, one of, one of them will pop out for you. The first one is I want us to pray for boldness in the face of opposition. And I don't want to make light of this. Some of you live in homes, maybe with an unbelieving in-law, or maybe with an unbelieving spouse, or maybe you work in an environment where your boss is particularly uh, 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 interested in needling you over your Christian faith. I don't know what it is. Or maybe you are in a context where you just cannot surface as a Christian. If not, if not then your life might be in quite a lot of trouble, maybe even danger. And if that's you, I want you to pray for boldness in the face of opposition. I want some of us to also pray for boldness in the face of shyness. And sometimes, depending on your upbringing, depending on your exposure, you may feel that you just can't do it. You just don't want to, to, to be known or to witness or to do anything remotely involving you exposing yourself and having to reach out to someone. Even to say hello to someone, to meet someone new, is tough enough. And whether it's a personality thing, an upbringing thing, an experience thing, a trauma thing, a fear thing, I don't know what it is. 
but I know that the Lord wants to take you to your own edge between light and darkness. And He doesn't have, He, he, he does not have like the most, everyone knows in your own church who is the most extroverted person in your church. I think we all have an idea. It may, be, it may differ from one person to another. God does not need you to be that. God needs you to go to the edge of your own light and dark. And He just asks you to be faithful with that. So if you need prayer over some kind of shyness, some kind of difficulty to engage, we want to pray for boldness because I see it in Scripture. And I want to pray, the last group, for all of us who feel that this weird uncertainty because you're afraid that you will weird out your friendships, you, will feel, you fear that, that if you were to witness, then these people, I don't know what they're going to think of me. They're going to think I'm a pesky Christian. They're going to think I'm just one of those annoying fellas and or whatever it is. Like what you load up years and years of poor evangelism, of, of, of blunt uh, uh, um, sharing of, of God. So you load up even some of it real, some of it imagined. You load it all up and you tell yourself, I can't do this I can't do this I want to pray that God will give us boldness and discernment and wisdom and an incisiveness to know how to love someone and then to share and witness and that requires boldness we're going to pray for all three I want us all to rise up to our feet right now Hallelujah Shaka Karabarahanta Sharabarahanta Keshika Karabarahanta Let's all pray in tongues for those of us who can pray in the Spirit. Let's pray in the Spirit right now. Let's let a voice well up in this place right now. For those of us who do not yet pray in the Spirit, I want to encourage you to just pray in understanding and pray for yourself. Pray for a Christian you know. Pray pray for our church. Let's just pray right now. Lord Jesus, we thank You, O Lord God. Hallelujah. Sovereign God. Sovereign God who art in heaven, Lord Jesus, you see our church right now. You see that today we are deciding that we do not want to live in a way that is just tame and, 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 and unpowerful. We want to live on the very edge between light and darkness. We want to be missionaries in our homes, missionaries in our workplaces, missionaries in our neighbourhoods, missionaries in our, in our places of influence, missionaries even on our social media platforms. And Father, we know we do not want to do all of these things in a kind of blunt and heavy-handed way because we want to love people gently, powerfully, lovingly, incisively and with truth and with power and with conviction. Lord Jesus, give us the wisdom. Give us the nuance. Lord Jesus, we could do with a lot more nuance. Give us nuance in bucket loads, Lord God. And Father, we pray, Lord God, that you just give us a heart to love the other. To love the other. Before we speak, may we act in love first, Lord God. May we learn to truly appreciate and care for one another. For Jesus, you have said to us before, the way you love one another will reveal who is my disciples. Oh, Father, we thank you, O Lord God. May we, as I be KL at Sungai Bulo, be known for our love for each other. And I pray right now that in the midst of all this, grant to us a boldness, a new kind of boldness to be a witness to 
testify that we have been changed, that our story is a story marked by Jesus Christ, that our story in the face of opposition, I can speak and I can tell my story. In the face of shyness, I can tell my story because it's mine. I don't have to convert anyone, but I can tell my story because it is mine. And in the face of uncertainty and weirdness, Lord Jesus, help me to witness of what you have done in my life. Trusting you, Lord God, that when we act and do so in love, you will continue to love not just them, but you will care for these friendships that we have. And your desire is for the friendships to flourish. Not for them to be broken, but for them to flourish. To flourish into a powerful living relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ. So Lord Jesus, we thank you. I just impart spiritual power and an awakening upon this place, O Lord God. Father, be exalted. Be exalted in the heavens, Lord God, as your glory fills this place. Father, for you alone deserve all of our praises. Nothing else is worthy of these praises but you, O Lord God. So Father, I just pray a blessing over every single one of us that today you set a fire in our hearts, you cause a boldness to rise up in us as we look upon your beautiful face. Now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord turn His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His countenance toward you and give you shalom. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Amen.